0: Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Ahem. <clears throat>
1: Would you stand with us as we begin our service with opening prayer? George, in welcoming you back, I would ask that you would lead us in opening prayer. Um,
2: have a couple changes in the, in the hymns this morning. So, um, we would take your red hymnal this morning and turn to number two hundred and twenty one. Thank you, two hundred and twenty one. I asked Pastor this morning if we could change the hymns out for Christmas hymns or some of them anyway, and he said that I could. So here we go. And just for a couple minutes from now, when you are um, telling me your favorite hymn, please make sure it is also. A Christmas hymn. Thank you. Two two one in the red. in the major. What number? 204. Do you have a reason for this one? Or just because I asked? Alright. Okay. 204.
1: our scripture reading for this morning is taken from the book of matthew chapter 1 verses 18 through 25 you'll find that page 1496 in your pew bible and when you come to that please stand with us Page 1497 Matthew chapter 1 verses 18 through 25 this is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about his mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph but before they came together she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit because Joseph her husband was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace he had in mind to divorce her quietly and will give birth to a son, they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him, and took Mary home as his wife, but he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading of his word.
2: You take your red hymnal again and turn to number 218 this time, 218.
3: our scripture this morning is from Matthew chapter 1. In our last time together we started a Christmas series called Thy Kingdom Come. And we considered the lineage of the promised King. What we discovered is that even though we have an aversion to kings and monarchs and potentates and the like, Jesus, God's son, has a royal pedigree, and like it or not, his rule over us is a monarchy, not a democracy. Jesus is the king whose word is law and whose will is irrefutable and unimpeachable. I'm not sure even a lot of Christians understand that. We consider the constituency of Jesus' kingdom. Who are the people over whom he rules? Well, it would be Judah and all the tribal clans of Israel, even though for now most of them have not acknowledged Jesus as their Messiah, nor have they bowed the knee to his authority, but such is coming. You can read about it in Romans chapter 11. We noted, too, that there were women in the genealogy. It is unheard of in most Oriental genealogies that women would be listed. Some like Tamar and Rahab had been sexually exploited as women, but they're there. Ruth, a Moabite, oh wow, she's there. Bathsheba, partner in David's adultery, she's there. Three of them Gentiles. And all of this teaches us that Christ is not only king of the Jews, but of the Gentiles as well. And then we looked at the good and righteous kings, but also some very wicked kings, showing us that both good and evil are monitored and controlled in our world by Christ the King. We also consider the exiles, those captive and not free men, but who become free under the rule of Christ. Who emancipated them by his grace. That's us, Gentiles, that God saved and forgave. We drew out two lessons. Number one, Jesus' kingdom is one of redeemed sinners. That's what we are. We're sinners, but we're redeemed sinners. Paul says, To the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven, you have come to God. The judge of all men, to the spirits of righteous men made perfect. We weren't perfect, but we were made perfect through the power of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, his shed blood in our stead. And those redeemed sinners were and are repentant sinners. So their past lifestyle is no longer a part of who they are today. And that shows the power of the king to transform wicked people into his saints. It's really interesting that we understand all of that. We're not any better than anybody else. We're just sinners saved by grace, as the song says. Saved by his grace. Well, today's study deals with the rather disconcerting and troubling period of Joseph and Mary's engagement. So as we come, let's ask for the Lord to enable us. Lord, we pray that your Spirit would teach us from this text those truths which are so important for our own daily lives. We're not just reading history. We're not just studying history. We are looking at the principles of Scripture that are taught by the lives of these, your saints, and asking that those lessons would be learned by us because if we're in the family of God, these experiences are not unique. Sooner or later, we shall all experience something very, very similar. Honor yourself today. Glorify Christ our Lord. In his name, amen. We're talking today about Mary and Joseph and the troubling engagement. Marriage engagement is what we're talking about. Mary was with child before she and Joseph were married. Oh boy. Talk about a stickler. The genealogy that we studied last week was Joseph. so the emphasis of Matthew's account, verse verse 18, how the birth of Jesus came about. Yeah, right. And in particular, how this relates to Joseph, listed as the last person in the royal dynasty of the Messiah, verse 16. But he's there. He's listed as the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. It's interesting, they talk about begat, begat, begat. The emphasis on the male role in reproduction, but when we come to verse 16, Mary is identified as the mother of Jesus, but nothing is said of Joseph as the father, who begat Jesus. No, Instead, he is identified as the husband of Mary. Is this a mistake? Has Matthew missed something here? Well, it is no mistake, despite the human penman that God used to write this history this history down. that's matthew this statement of Scripture is that all Scripture is God-breathed. 2 Timothy 3.16 which includes this text in Matthew. And it is with Matthew as Peter says about his own contributions to the biblical history. Writes Peter, Above all you must understand no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation. For prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. 2 Peter 1, verse 20 and 21. And this word, carried along, is a uh, nautical term. It's used of ships being... Buoyed up by the waves of the sea, or of sails ballooned out and filled by the wind propelling the ship along. Both images are very helpful, I think. God's prophets did not write down their own thoughts, their own ideas, when recording their prophecies, their histories. No. They were buoyed up, that is, sustained, supported, and propelled forward in their directives by none other than the Holy Spirit of God. The end product, then, is not, it is not a Bible containing the thoughts, the conclusions of sinful man, but a Bible whose pages are God-breathed. That's what the word inspiration means. God breathe; Hence, they are a record of God's thoughts, God's analysis, God's conclusions, which because of the nature of God himself is not subject to lies or deception or false statements. He is the God who cannot lie. Someday I'm going to preach a sermon on the things that God cannot do. One of them is he cannot lie, the scripture says. He is the author of truth. So when we come back to Mary, we could say she was obviously pregnant. Why do I say obviously? Because she was probably showing Pregnancy by that time. But what was not obvious was how she became pregnant. If, because we understand the biological process of reproduction, we conclude that Mary has been unfaithful to Joseph, that she has been with another man, our conclusion would be wrong. It would be utterly false. You'll remember that this is what Joseph concluded in his ignorance. And he who concluded that the only justifiable recourse for him to take was to divorce Mary. Quietly, yes. Verse 19. Without fanfare, yes. Without fanfare, without public trial, without exposure to public censure, all of which was usually done, you know. But that tells me he loves Mary. I'm thinking about him. Even though his beloved, his betrothed, has been unfaithful to him, so he thinks, He's not going to put her up for public scrutiny, mockery, derision, or anything else that might come from the hostile environment of the people. Now Mary knew what had happened to her, but Joseph didn't. It was to Mary that the angel Gabriel appeared and announced, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever his kingdom will never end how will this be Mary asked the angel since I am a virgin the angel answered the Holy Spirit will come upon you the power of the Most High will overshadow you so that the Holy One born to you will be called the Son of God. Luke 1, verse 30 through 35. Very strange. Why didn't Mary tell Joseph about this? Well, think about that. Why didn't she tell Joseph? Consider that you are a young girl, that you are a teenager, somewhere between the age of 15 and 18. You're engaged to be married, but before your vows are taken, it becomes obvious that you are pregnant, and your only explanation is, <laughs> well, God overpowered me by the Holy Spirit. Ah, uh, yeah, right. Uh-huh. Yeah, That is about as believable as saying that pigs can fly. Even though Joseph loves Mary enough to divorce her privately, to avoid a scandal, he's not about to accept Mary's pregnancy as an act of God. Come on. Would you? Think about it. You know you would not. You would not. And so Mary keeps the matter to herself, bearing the brunt of false accusations, if need be, relying on God to work things out in his good time, if he will, when he will, having faith that God would vindicate her and her integrity, In time. This is a troubling engagement to say the least. Joseph is in the dark. Mary is with child, and he thinks she has been unfaithful to him. And with that conclusion, his plan is to divorce her quietly to avoid exposing Mary to public disgrace, verse 19. That's why I say, this man loved her. He really loved her. And though by now I think he's really hurting emotionally, Psychologically. Boy. How could this happen to me? He thinks. My bride-to-be has been unfaithful to me. She's carrying another man's child. What do I do now? I I mean, if I go ahead and marry her what will that do for our relationship? How am I supposed to love another man's child? And how can I forget Mary's immorality and go on with life as though none of this ever happened? Oh no, just go merrily on. There is a psychological and mental pain, brethren, which results from betrayal. If your trust, if your fidelity, has never been betrayed by another person, it may be difficult to grasp, but the mental anguish is acute and it is unnerving. You will begin to self-analyze what did I ever do to deserve this? How could so and so do this to me? <laughs> what am I what am I supposed to do now? How do I relate hereafter to this betrayal? Likely Joseph wrestled with all these questions and more. And he had pretty much concluded that Mary was culpable of his worst assumptions because he had already decided on his course of action, I know, I guess, I I know I, I will divorce her. Quietly. Yes, in private, I'll write her out a bill of divorcement, have it notarized, hand it to her. I will avoid public disgrace. I will avoid a scandal, most definitely. But in the end, I mean, the result would be the same, right? The marriage engagement would be terminated. Mary would go her way. Joseph would go his way. And there would be no marriage. While all of this is in motion, and it appears that this is the only recourse for what Joseph discovered about his fiancée, the scripture says an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream verse 20, and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son. You are to give him the name Jesus, which means Savior, by the way, because he will save his people from their sins, verse 20. Verse 21. What I'm saying here, what we're seeing here, is that God steps in where Mary's explanations would have failed. And he tells Joseph what Mary has known all along, namely, that her child is of God's doing by the power of the Holy Spirit. Thus she has not, she has not been promiscuous regardless of how things look. God's son is in her womb, and therefore Joseph need not think of her as a promiscuous woman and her child as illegitimate. Whoa, man, this is too fantastic to believe. Why then would Joseph buy into this? I mean, the explanation, it it is so off the wall, it defies logic, it denies basic biology, no one in their right mind would believe this. And what is Matthew expecting to accomplish with this fictitious explanation, it is so absurd. Matthew, you sure you want to write this in your gospel? Well, Joseph does not think that this is fiction. Why not? Two reasons. Number one. Joseph knew that one of the ways in which God revealed his will, his plans to his believing people was through dreams. For example, when Job was feeling blue because God did not seem to be answering his inquiries, his friend Elihu told him, God does speak. Now one way, now another though man may not perceive it. Even in a dream, in a vision of the night, when deep sleep falls on men as they slumber in their beds, he may speak to their ears and terrify them with warnings to turn men from wrongdoing and keep him from pride to preserve his soul from the pit, his life from perishing by the sword. Job 33, verse 14 and following. Well, that was very much the case with King Abimelech, you'll remember. When Abimelech, king of the Philistines, conscripted Sarah into his harem, not knowing that she was Abraham's wife, We read, but God came to Abimelech in a dream one night and said to him, you are as good as dead. How'd you like to have a dream like that? You are as good as dead because of the woman you have taken. She is a married woman. Genesis 20, verse 13, or verse 3, excuse me. and god gave abimelech the chance to set thing right things right by returning sarah to abraham jacob's son joseph the namesake of the joseph in our text had two dreams both of which indicted indicated excuse me all his brothers would that one day they would bow down to him and serve him. Genesis 37. And the scripture says his brothers hated him because of his dreams. And, oh, they did more. They sold him into Egyptian slavery, where in time Joseph was elevated to vice-regent of all of Egypt, and in the aftermath ruled over his brothers, and was used by God to spare their lives, in the severe famine which plagued the region at that time. So the first reason Joseph, Joseph of our text, believes the dream he had explaining Mary's condition is because there was a history of God using dreams to communicate his will, his word to his people, which Joseph knew all too well. But there's a second reason why he believed this. He believed that this was not fiction because there was a prophecy in the Old Testament in the book of Isaiah which predicted the very circumstances Joseph was being made aware of right now. Verse 22, All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said Through the prophet. What prophet? Isaiah 7, verse 14. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. Isaiah was written seven hundred years before the Gospel of Matthew. Don't you like to wait seven centuries to find out if a prophecy is going to come true? Joseph knew his Bible. He recognized that prophecy from Isaiah 7.14 and suddenly the cloud was lifted from his mind and he realized that Mary, his intended, was still a virgin, though with child. Evidence enough that her son was not the product of infidelity with another man, but was in fact the child God promised through Isaiah the prophet. So here's a question. Can God fertilize a woman's ovum without a male sperm? Is that something he can do? Mary wondered the same thing. And Gabriel, the angel of God, explained. The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you The power of the Most High will overshadow you. So, here's the conclusion. The Holy One to be born will be called Joseph's son? No. He will be called the Son of God. He goes on, even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age and she who said, was said to be barren is in her sixth month. For nothing is impossible with God. Luke 1 verse 35 and following. And that child born to Elizabeth was none other than John the Baptist. So through divine intervention, Joseph learned the true and holy nature of Mary's pregnancy. Now note Joseph's quick compliance to the message of God's dream. What was the essential message of God in this dream? Verse 20, Joseph, son of David, Do not not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. I think God here cuts people some slack for what they don't know. Remember that Abimelech guy? He pleaded his case with God that he did not know that Sarah was Abraham's wife when he took her and made her a part of his harem. And God agreed that such was the case and responded, here it is, yes, God is speaking, yes, I know that you did not know that you function with a clear conscience. And so I kept you from sinning against me. Genesis 20, verse 6. He prevented Abimelech from sexually violating Sarah. But, okay, once we are informed, Then what? Once we are informed, once God has made his will clear, there's no safety in ignorance anymore. Thus God said to Abimelech, Now return the man's wife, but, uh, but, if you do not return her, you may be sure that you and all yours will die. Wow. Knowledge brings with it an obligation to act upon the truth, upon the new information. I didn't know that. Well, you know now, I just told you. if this is true for a pagan king like Abimelech how much more with those of us who are God's people and claim to order our lives by faith in God's word verse 24 back to our text when Joseph woke up he said excuse me he did what the angel of the Lord commanded him, and he took Mary home as his wife. This is a quick compliance. Not like a certain guy named Gideon in the Old Testament who decided to test God's command several times with a fleece to confirm God's command to attack the Midianites. Have we not dragged our feet many a time's reasoning? Oh, I wonder what God wants me to do in such and such a situation when we know all too well what God wants us to do. We're lazy or we're fearful or we're slow to respond. Because we just do not want to do what we know we should. God's work is languishing in the process. Well, Joseph complied quickly. He awoke from his dream. He married Mary pronto and took her home as his wife. He also did something else, and Matthew records it for us. We wouldn't know about this, except that Matthew records it for us. Matthew 1, verse 25, last verse. He's writing about Joseph, and Matthew says of Joseph, he had no union with her, that is, no sexual relations, until she gave birth to a son and he gave him the name Jesus. Um, Where do we find God commanding Joseph not to be intimate with his wife, Mary? Look as you will, you will not find it. Nowhere. He used his brain. And he came up with this on his own. He knew that in the course of time, the public would begin to think of Jesus as his son, Joseph's son. And so he took the necessary steps to preserve the integrity of Mary and the true identity of Jesus as God's son. You know, God does allow us to put two and two together (laughs) by utilizing our brain to think through problems and arrive at godly solutions. This one little statement at the end of this chapter squelches forever any notion that Joseph was Jesus' biological father. I'm glad it's in the text. Thank God for thinking men. Matthew wrote it down. Now what lessons do we learn from this stormy engagement? Boy, this is a doozy. Well, number one, God's word records the truth even when that truth tends in itself to be misunderstood or distorted. I mean, we read this account. Let me ask if you were writing a history of God's dealings with men, would you have included that the mother of the Savior was pregnant with child before she was married? Would you have put that in the record? What a bombshell to drop! Oh, better keep that. Hush, hush. People don't need to know that. Matthew, what's the matter with you? Have you not read the proverb which says, A prudent man keeps his knowledge to himself. But the heart of a fool blurts out his folly. Proverbs 12, verse 23. You're being a fool to write that in your gospel. It is quite true in retrospect that the public of Jesus' day viewed him as Joseph and Mary's son. They thought they knew his origin. Matthew 13, coming to his hometown, Nazareth, he began teaching the people in their synagogues. I'm reading scripture. And they were amazed. Where did this man get this wisdom and these miraculous powers, they asked? Isn't this, this is the carpenter's son. Isn't his mother's name Mary? Aren't his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, Judas? Aren't all his sisters with us? Where then did this man get all these things? And they took offense at him. But Jesus said to them, Only in his hometown And in his own house is a prophet without honor. That's me. And that's how you're treating me. Matthew 13, verse
2: 54.
3: I mean, think about this. Had they done a little, just a little investigation, they would have discovered that Jesus was not a native-born Nazarene. Duh! He had been born in Bethlehem, not Nazareth, in the territory of the tribe of Judah. Bethlehem, oh. You mean the prophesied city of Israel's coming king, Matthew 5, or Micah 5, verse 2? uh, um, That Bethlehem? Oh, it got worse. It leaked out, as is often the case with gossips and busybodies, that Mary was with child before... She married Joseph. So in the heat of the debate with the Pharisees who claimed God as their father, they said to Jesus, we are not illegitimate. Ooh. We are not illegitimate children, they protested. And the only father we have is God himself. John 8, verse 41. Well, la da where did they come? What are they saying? This is a tremendous implication. They are saying, we were not born of fornication, but we know that you were. How do they know? They don't know anything of the sort. They had succumbed to the local gossip, My point was that God does not shriek from telling the truth, Mary being pregnant with Jesus before marriage, simply because the truth can be misunderstood, distorted, twisted. You know what men do with the truth that God gives them? They are alone responsible for that. We do not shy away from describing God's word because people mock or they laugh or they portray us and God as fools. The Bible has an indictment on them. Do you know what it is? Let me read it for you. The fool says in his heart, there's no God. There's no God. They are corrupt. Their deeds are vile. There is no one who does good. The Lord looks down from heaven on the sons of men to see if there are any who understand, any who seek God. Conclusion. All have turned away. They have together become corrupt. And that's the one thing they have in common. Their corruption there is no one who does good, not even one. Will evildoers never learn? Those who devour my people as men eat bread and who do not call on the Lord. Psalm 14, the first verse. Brethren, we are to proclaim the truth of the gospel even if it sounds fanciful and fictitious to the man on the street. For it is as Paul declared, for since in the wisdom of God the world through its wisdom did not know him. God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached from their viewpoint, the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 21. So God's word is his record of truth. is trustworthy. God is not a liar like men. He's going to tell the truth even if the people that hear it think, This is, this is so fanciful. This is fiction. No one in their right mind would believe this. And secondly, don't be quick to make a judgment call based on your observations. I think initially Joseph was guilty of this with Mary. Verse 18, she was found to be with child. How did he know that? Well, he had eyes, didn't he? He could see that her physique was a little more bulging than usual. He put two and two together and he concluded that she was pregnant, which was true. But then he did something else. He extrapolated from his observation that Mary was pregnant. Okay. She had proved herself promiscuous with another man. Not okay. He made an erroneous judgment based on his observation. I did this one time years ago when I was interviewing a young woman as a possible tenant for an apartment that I had. She was wearing one of those, um, I call them baby doll blouses, back in the 60s. You know what I mean by them? They were big and flowing and not not hugging the body at all, just kind of like a big apron over the body she was wearing something like that over her blue jeans and I thought she was an unwed mother looking to rent a place for herself and her unborn child I am so glad I kept my mouth shut Because in the course of our conversation, I figured out she was not pregnant at all, but simply wanted to be out on her own, away from living with her mom and dad. But I came that close to asking her the the foot-in-the-mouth question, when is your baby due? (laughs) God gave me grace I didn't ask the question. That would have been terribly embarrassing as well as humiliating. She wasn't pregnant at all. She was just wearing a garment that made her look that way. Brethren, what you see, what you hear is not always identical to the truth. Learn that observations can lead to wrong conclusions. Take time to ask questions for clarification. Solomon the wise man put it this way. The end of a matter is better than its beginning. And patience is better than pride. Ecclesiastes 7 verse 8. Paul put it this way. The man who thinks he knows something does not yet know as he ought to know. 1 Corinthians eight and verse two. And then finally, let us learn that sometimes people cannot learn from your explanations. God will have to intervene. Mary never tried to tell Joseph how she had become why not because in her case the truth seemed like a fantastical lie think of it to explain away her promiscuity her affair oh yeah You're pregnant because the Holy Spirit came on you. Came upon you. Do you know that much of the gospel is like that when talking to sinners whose understanding of spiritual things is zero? Jesus cautions us in our witness, do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet, and then they're going to turn and tear you to pieces. Matthew 7, verse 6. In his ministry, Jesus, the author of truth, who locked into a theological battle with the Pharisees, who claimed Abraham as their spiritual father. And they're going back and forth. Jesus, Pharisees, Jesus, Pharisees. Finally, Jesus said to them, if you were, if you were Abraham's children, said Jesus, then you would do the things Abraham did as it is You are determined to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God, and Abraham did not do such things. You are doing the things your own father does. Oh boy, they jumped on that one. The only father we have is God Himself. Really? And Jesus said to them, If God. Were your father, you would love me. For I came from God, and now I am here. And I have not come on my own, but he sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? Answer. Because you are unable to hear what I say. You belong to your father, the devil. And you want to carry out your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth. There's no truth in him when he lies. He speaks his native language, for he is a liar, and he's the father of lies. And yet, because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. John 8, verse 39. And uh, did you know that unbelievers have a spiritual father? Just as we? Only their instructor, their mentor, is the devil of whom Paul writes... The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 4. And brethren, it will take the almighty power of God to remove the blinders and grant people of that nature sight, as God did with us, with us. No difference. So witness and pray that God will shine through the hard spiritual cataracts that are there. Otherwise, your effort to shine forth the gospel light will meet with continued darkness and resistance. Well, finally, Mary's child is aptly named Jesus, Savior, Jesus. Verse 21. Because, Matthew says, he will save his people from their sins. Well, well, what about those blind eyes. What about those deaf ears which Paul tells us? What about those dogs, those pigs that Jesus describes whose disdain for the gospel will cause them to attack you for telling them the truth? What about that? What about that? Paul says the God of this age, that Satan, has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Well, if that's the case, if that's, if that's right, Paul, what are we supposed to do? You're, you're saying they cannot see, they cannot hear. Paul goes on, I'll, I'll tell you what to do. We do not preach ourselves. We preach Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of the darkness, that's Genesis, that's creation day. The God who said, let light shine out of the darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. 2 Corinthians 4. Verse 4 and 5. Brethren, you and I have no ability to change a person's heart. We have no ability to open their spiritual eyes or unplug their deaf ears. But God does. And His all-surpassing power, the way Paul puts it, was made real to us when God made his light shine in our hearts so that we could see and could believe. That's the germ seed of salvation. Paul, as Jesus' spokesman, makes this promise. Here it is. The word is near you it's in your mouth. It's in your heart. That is the word of faith that we are proclaiming. That if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and that believe it in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified and it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved as the scripture says anyone who trusts in him will never be put to shame for there is no difference between Jew and Gentile the same Lord is Lord of all richly blesses all who call on him for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Romans ten verse eight. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord and means it will be saved. Jesus died at Calvary and spilled his blood to seal that promise. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. No exceptions. No ifs, ands, or buts. Everyone who calls and means it will experience the forgiveness and the salvation of our great Savior. May you call today if you don't know him. What a grand time of the year to be thinking about spiritual things. The birth of Christ. Why did he come? What did he accomplish? Why the cross? Why the resurrection? More in the weeks to come. Father, we thank you for your word and we thank you for the tenacious way that Matthew lays it out for us. How precious is the truth of your word! Men balk at it. Yes, it's going to require faith to believe it, but we're skeptical. So it isn't our faith that's going to grasp this. It's the Spirit's gift of faith spoken of as one of the fruit of the Spirit. And so we do pray today that you will grant faith and repentance to any who is striving to know the truth about Christ and God and the gospel and life and death and the coming kingdom heaven, hell, everything spiritual that they want to know is summed up in trusting Christ and his word. Grant us that faith we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Do we have a closing hymn? Did you pick out one?
2: 57 when you find 50 when you find 57 in the red in will the you ground. please stand with me 57 57 in the red
3: Our God, in understanding this salvation, we would be negligent if we did not remind ourselves that it was God's great love for sinners that all of this came to be. Why, why would any father sacrifice his son on the cross for people that hate him, despise him, disobey his word, speak blasphemy of him, do that which is evil and cruel and wicked. Why would God sacrifice his son perfect son for the likes of us. John tells us God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God so loved the world that he gave. Lord, we thank you and appreciate you for that. It's a marvel. It's a mystery to us. But we are thankful. We who know you and we have experienced your love. And we have seen our lives change and turned around because of your love and because of Christ. I pray, Lord, that you will draw by the power of your Holy Spirit any here today who have never given Christ second thought may they consider the truth of his love and the fact that they can be changed and transformed we can become lovers of God and lovers of truth rather than hateful, spiteful, self-centered people that we are. Bless these truths to our heart. Thank you for each one here today. May the word of God seep down into us the rest of the day and be an encouragement as well as a challenge. Amen. We are dismissed. (laughs) Thank <laughs> you.